Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 114 of the F1 Show for coverage of the European Grand Prix from Valencia, Spain. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau, and we are at the Valencia Street Circuit this week, which always is kind of a boring race, and whoever is on pole is going to win the race, and blah, blah, blah. Not, nothing to talk about. Um, pack up and go home. Right. Or but not. wrong. But I read this F1 Show column the other day, which was saying that actually, in 2012, Valencia should be exciting... And I think we can safely say that that came true. Um, even was this column on Sky Sports, the F1 show? You know, there's another F1 show out there. Is there really? A slightly older one and um, potentially even slightly better one. More mature, perhaps? I don't know about that. But, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, even with qualifying, um, there was such a close grid in qualifying, especially like in Q2. I mean, first of all, Q1, you know, we had Mark Webber out in Q1 because uh, he had what they were originally referring to as a transmission problem but then later said it was a, was a DRS problem DRS problem which um, he said was uh, in qualifying trim 1.3 seconds is what he claimed which is pretty incredible yeah I wouldn't have thought it made that big of a difference um, but uh, and then and then in Q2 we saw like both Ferraris out including Alonso on home soil right um, and, but we need to talk about Q2 because that was crazy right um, but and, it, and we look at the times you're like oh what is the Ferrari like you know a half second eight tenths you know 1.2 seconds off the pace but no no they were very very close to the pace but just the everyone was so close together in q2 that uh you could be two tenths off and that would put you outside of the top 10 and, and not moving on to q3 so believe it, was, it or not i have numbers Ooh. okay so the very fastest person in q2 was romain grosjean with a 38.489 okay fernando alonso was out of Q2 with a 38.707. So that is 0.218-ish. So less than a quarter of a second off the fastest time in Q2 was good for 11th. Yeah. So we were talking an incredibly tight. So Felipe Massa, he was only um, uh, 73 uh, thousandths <laughs> off of uh, uh, Fernando Alonso, and that was 13th. Uh, you know, Schumacher was in 12th. Being um, you know uh, sixty-seven thousands uh, slower than uh, uh, than Alonso. I mean, it was incredibly, incredibly tight um, all the way through. Uh, yeah, thirteenth, thirteenth to first to thirteenth in Q two was covered by less than three tenths of a second. Yeah. There, That's crazy. There was a lot of talk about Schumacher that this is going to come together for him. He could be on pole. He could have really good wins. You know, really good wins. A win. Um, <laughs> and you know, he ended up twelfth, like you say, splitting the Ferraris. So there was, the, you know, Q two was was a lot of excitement. And then there was sort of this big like, oh boy, you know, if it's that easy to, you know, one tiny little mistake or even just a little bit of difference in the car setup or whatever is enough to. Uh, uh, you know, to, to boost you out of the session, then uh, it's a pretty wild session. And then it went on to Q3, which ended up, for the most part, stacking up as you'd expect. I mean, with, with the Ferraris out of Q2, uh, out in Q2, uh, you know, I can see them near the top. Right. Um, and with Weber out in Q1. So it was uh, Sebastian Vettel holding it down for Red Bull, who, after, you know, meditating about his qualifying lap for a while in the Getting pits, into that zen state. Was able to just get out there. Signing and, yet another pact with the devil. I mean, I don't know exactly how he does it, whatever but it is doing. crazy fast. It's working for him. It yeah. is working for him. But look, look at the team names that are in Q3. Both Lotus Renaults, both Force Indias. You've got a Sauber Ferrari. You've got a Mercedes. You've got a Williams. Of course, you have the Red Bull. You have McLaren. I mean, people both McLarens, by the way. But it was all over the place. I mean, Pastor Maldonado being uh, third uh, qu- quickest in qualifying for Williams. 
showing real pace, and that's compared to Bruno Senna in 14th. Um, so that was really impressive. Both Force Indias in the top 10, that was really impressive. Um, Romain out-qualifying uh, Kimi by less than a hundredth of a second, but out-qualifying him just the same. Um, that was good for fourth. Raikkonen was in fifth. I mean, we had an re- incredibly diverse uh, top 10, and it was different names at the front than what we've seen in the recent past. Right. Um, and one of the things while we're on the qualifying deal um, to mention is that uh, Heikki Kovalainen in the caterham out-qualified both STRs. Um, oh, absolutely. So because, I definitely uh, wanted to say that. We also that. didn't yeah. mention, so Timo Glock did not qualify, did not take part in qualifying because he was sick. and uh, and then He had a, quote, tummy ache. Right. And then they, the steward said, okay, well, you're going to be able to race if you're medically able to do so. You know, we're not going to you know, stop you from racing. Which he was not. He was not. So, uh, so anyway, so he was um, sort of took up the 24th spot anyway. You know, Interesting no, little side note. He was still faster than Noreen Karthikeyan. Ooh. <laughs> Yikes. Ouch. Um, and, there were, and everyone was well within 107% as well. But um, so, so that meant, you know, with, uh, with Weber uh, and then Vern out in, Q, uh, in Q1, that was, you know, basically the effect that Kovalainen went on to uh, move on to Q2 and was able to out-qualify Daniel Ricciardo. So it's a good job for the caterham as sort of a step forward uh, in that car. That's, uh, that's got to be a good boost for that team at the uh, other end of the grid. Absolutely. So we usually have the, we have the three-team, uh, six-driver usual people out in Q1 plus one odd man out. Well, this time that wasn't the case. You know, Kovalainen broke that trend that has been very solid for a very long time. So yep. I, I, I don't want to undermine the fact that it means two important things. Um, Caterman, Caterham has been the fastest of the slow teams fairly consistently since the three new teams came into the sport, right? But they've been there where their speed difference is coming in has been tricking closer and closer to the mid-pack teams and farther and farther ahead of the other two backmarkers. I mean, if you look at... Um, if you look at Heki Kovalainen's Q1 uh, qualifying time, it was a 40.087, so under 40.1. The next fastest, um, the next fastest non, uh, you know, of the new of the of the new teams was uh, Pedro De La Rosa with a 42.1. So that's yeah. two seconds a lap over, faster over a single lap, yeah. Uh, over the other new teams, so it really is. I think it needs to be considered a seriously strong effort. And not to mention, he went ahead and now qualified both STRs because in Q2, he put a lap in right at the end and nipped by Daniel Ricciardo as well. So he started 16th, not 17th. Yeah. Good effort. Good effort. Um, to move on to the race, I think, um, we had uh, you know, Vettel up front, vetteling the race, essentially, right? Pulling I mean, away. It was shocking. I mean, it um, was... As devastating as any 2011 performance had ever been, it was exact repeat of that. Right. You know, he just was no one in sight of him. The more rest than of the a field, second a lap faster. Right. Yeah. There was quite a bit of jostling around later in the field. I mean, the mid pack was very interesting. I mean, I guess that's one of the interesting parts about a, a track where it's harder to pass is that sometimes you end up with these interesting battles and sort of, uh, you know, one guy being held up and then gets passed by two other people. You know, sort of these these outside. You've got a, a lot of thinking going on as well as a lot of really good driving. Right. Um, and, uh, but with Vettel's sudden retirement, yes. uh, I, mean, I, I guess so. the first thing would be the safety car, um, that uh, after a couple of crashes in, with, uh, uh, you know, most, most notably, I guess, with Jean-Eric Verne, um, yeah. you know, bits of the STR all over the track. None of them were terribly large, but some of them were big enough in terms of spreading leftover parts of Formula One car everywhere 
that there was enough cleanup involved and dead cars on or near the track that they had to pull the safety car out. But um, So that you know reset Vettel's lead. He was able to get in and out of the pits and still be uh, on the lead lap and in first. Um, and uh, he, would, he would have lost the lead, but uh, Grosjean, who was the only one that was keeping anywhere close tabs on him, pit the same lap. Right. Um, yes. So... You know, so after the safety car, then uh, he, he comes out and just without, um, uh, you know, without any drama, basically just sort of the car slows down and he pulls off and stops, and uh, you know he makes it around like another kind of half of a corner, and then and then he's you know Vettel's just up and out of the car and that's it. Yep. Um, eventually made his way back to the paddock and they had an interview. They said, "What's the problem? We don't know." Yep. Um, and uh, it, Vettel's first thought was the problem that was his right glove. Maybe it was his left glove. Right. So he definitely gave that glove, showed it what's what, throwing, throwing it very hard <laughs> in the fence. Um, but right, uh, uh, you know, what is that, maybe eight laps later, uh, we had Roman Grosjean with a failure uh, in a Lotus, which, as we recall, also has a very similar uh, Renault powertrain to the Red Bull. Yes. Um, that was, we, we had an onboard shot from that. I don't know why we never quite got that from Vettel's to see what, what that failure actually sort of felt like in the car. But We can, I'm sure, um, thank Fox for that. Yeah, but uh, and that they said, okay, we had an alternator failure. You know, no no power to run the car anymore. Um, you know, that's it, and and it just stopped. He had to pull off to the side, and, and and that was it. So then, by the time Vettel makes his way back, they said, hey, do you think it's maybe this alternator? And and he sort of said, oh, maybe, but we don't know. Um, and it, I haven't seen any official statements from Red Bull saying yes or no, but I think that is the working theory that everyone's kind of going on. If you go to FormulaOne.com and you look at their results, it lists uh, Vettel out with an alternator problem. So that's, that's as close as we get that I've seen. Right. Yeah. We don't know who, who actually writes that. But what that means, obviously, um, is, uh, you know, then so we had the, all, that, those were right at the front of the, I mean, uh, Grosjean was second when that failure happened. Vettel was first when that failure happened. Right. So, um, this sort of just shuffles around the rest of the grid, and uh, we end up with Fernando Alonso winning, winning race. this race in just spectacular fashion, especially considering, like we just mentioned, being out in Q2 and starting from 11th spot. Yep. You know, just very amazing. Just, I mean, definitely was aided by the fact that a couple of these other rivals were out of the race. Of but, course, yeah. I, would he have had the pace for Vettel? Almost certainly not. He might have had the pace for Grosjean, possibly. But I, I think he was looking at a podium finish. He was very strong from lap one, uh, from 11th all the way up to 8th in the first lap, eventually getting his way to 7th, and he continued to push forward as things went on. He had a strong pit box. But um, at the end of the result, the race is what it is. Reliability is part of racing. And uh, Fernando Alonso won the race uh, incredibly well. The uh, Spaniard fans loved it. The Ferrari-loving Spaniard fans loved it. Um, Kimi Raikkonen put in a really strong uh, result to finish second, and a Michael Schumacher got on the podium for the first time in six years, finishing third. Which, first of all, um, gives us a podium of all world champions, all old guys in a way. <laughs> you know, in that in that. And uh, yeah, actually, Alonso's the youngest at thirty. I'm pretty sure Raikkonen's older than Alonso. Right. Um, Raikkonen's my age. I'm pretty certain. Um, but as uh, as we came across, uh, as I came across on the, online, actually before I even meant to, um, was that uh, hey wait this podium looks kind of familiar. And if you look back to uh, Fran- the French Grand Prix uh, in 2005, you have exactly this driver lineup: Fernando Alonso winning the race in a Renault, <laughs> uh, Kimi Raikkonen then in a McLaren, and Schumacher in a Ferrari. Yes. So 
funny how they've all switched around. Yep. Um, and then we started sort of digging into that. So it's exactly the same order, um, different guys. All, but all those guys, of course, um, drove for Ferrari or drive for Ferrari. Um, all those guys at some point had done uh, Mercedes power, um, you know, w- with, uh, with their various cars. And all those guys at some point had driven Renault power as well. Right. So it's just kind of a funny, you know. Or, I mean, even Team Renault-ish. Right. I mean, it, whatever this is, you know, it was Benetton at the time Schumacher was in it. And it's now, you know, uh, I guess Lotus, Lotus now yeah. that Raikkonen's in it. But, yeah, same team. So it's, and, you know, it's just kind of wild because uh, just to sort of to see that and think, like, you know, with that, because the fact that there's the same podium as six years ago, as 2005, what does that mean? Well, that means it's not going to be Vettel. Seven years it's ago. not going to be Hamilton. You know, it's not going to be, uh, yeah, what the heck, what year is it? It's <laughs> like six years ago. <laughs> Blimey. Um, you know, there's all these, all these stars that we're looking at. Uh, they've also all had uh, Felipe Massa as a teammate. I think it's, uh, it's, Wait. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Because, you know. Yep, no, that's right. That's he's right. Massa. Um, uh, Schumacher for only one year. Actually, Schumacher's had him least amount of time. Yeah. Because Schumacher had him in 2006. Yep, Massa had Ferrari since 06. Yeah. Doing... Uh, yeah, that's funny. So, so yeah, it's just it's funny. Uh, and you know, where's where's Massa and all this? But anyway, uh, so a heck of a podium in in a way. You know that that it didn't work out for uh, for all these other guys. Um, and and as you mentioned, you know, it's very cool to see Schumacher back on the podium. He didn't know he was going to be on the podium because those last you know last closing laps of the race were quite chaotic. Not the least of which um, because of Mr. Hamilton and uh, and the way his race ended in dramatic fashion today. Right. So that was that was the other you know because he was. At first in F1 in 07, so you think any, any podium from 05 is not going to have Hamilton in it. Right, of course. Um, and that's, that's really the, the, the hot-button issue of the race, I think, uh, today, is this, this Hamilton-Maldonado crash. So to walk through uh, what happened, it's the, it's the, like, what is it, three laps to go, four laps to go, very near the end of the race. Two laps to go. Um, I'm pretty sure okay. it's two laps to go, yeah. Uh, Hamilton's car starts, he's kind of just jerking around on a lot more. Yeah, it's more and more lockup. Um, so it's like just the tires are very, you know, sort of over the cliff, if you will. So they were, uh, just to, they were running lap 55. Okay. Of 57, right? Of 57. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Hamilton's tires are going off. Maldonado, uh, was in uh, fourth spot, um, for, for a long time, I guess. Right. Um, With yeah. Fresher tires. Yep. Um, and Hamilton's tires were definitely falling off big time. Uh, you know, it, uh, Kimi Raikkonen had gotten around Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton had been blocking Raikkonen lap after lap, and then it was getting really close. And uh, when Raikkonen did finally get around him, he rocketed by him because he just had so much more traction coming off the corner. And uh, it did not take long for Pastor to catch up and be uh, fighting along Hamilton as well. And uh, at the beginning, again, Hamilton was doing a great job with the equipment he had, and uh, Pastor was putting in some great moves to try to get around him. Right. And I guess what the, the, the Hamilton, you know, his status at that point is, I guess, what I'll call, you know, 2012 damage control, which happens to someone at the end of each of these races, right? Right. Where they're just, their tire strategy hasn't quite worked out the way they thought, or this was their strategy, and this is just, they just are then put in this mode where they have really, really ragged tires, but they don't want to take a stop because then they'll, they'll get the penalty right. for doing so. And when they fall off, they fall off quickly. Right. I mean, right then will attest which is to part that of the fun, as much as anybody. Because yep. if, 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 if they fall off, they're still easy to drive, then that's not really falling off, right? So it's this whole, that's, that's exactly what we ordered from Pirelli when we, you know, we, I say you and I, we, we, when we, described, we, we right. described to Pirelli what we wanted for tires, that's what we asked them to do. Right. Um, 
So, Directly, so he was doing, person. you know, which and which could have been, you know, Alonzo from a couple races ago. Could have been, you know, Raikkonen in Absolutely. China. All, there's all these different ways we can look at the sort of the 2012, you know, Pirelli damage control mode. Hamilton is full on in that mode at this point. Um, so Maldonado comes around behind, uh, beside him. Um, they both uh, turn this in this right-hand corner. Um, turn 36, I think it was. Yeah, could have been <laughs> somewhere between there and 47. Yeah, that, that whole complex between looks 36, really 47. similar. Um, then, so Maldonado at this point is all the way off the track on the outside. Yeah, so they come into the corner. It's a right-hand corner, and Maldonado is on the outside of Hamilton. Yep. And they both, they both basically track alongside. Hamilton pulls out all the way to the edge of the track. Maldonado goes right off the track as a result. Mm-hmm. And in the next corner, which is a left-hand bend back the other way pretty much immediately... Um, Hamilton sort of following the racing line. Hamilton continues to follow the racing line, but the only way for Maldonado to get back on track is to also try to get on that same racing line, and there was zero room for Maldonado. And that one little phrase I just said is the debate that we're about to have, and uh, they ended up crashing into each other, takes Hamilton out of the race, hampers, uh, takes off Maldonado's front wing, slows him way down. And uh, the result is zero points for Lewis Hamilton, finishing 19th which in, with an accident at lap 55. Right. And well, where does your um, uh, stat put Maldonado? Because he finished on track in 10th, um, but then was given a post-race 22nd uh, quote-unquote drive-through penalty, so, which moves him back and actually gets Senna a point in so, uh, nice irony. <laughs> I have Maldonado where the official race results have him, which is in 12th. Okay. Yes. Uh, so that, that puts him back uh, for that. So the stewards say that was Maldonado's fault. It was a re, an unsafe re-entry to the track. He was fully off the track. He was fully he off the track. Him. Hamilton was on the track, and um, it, it puts him in this situation. So, which is total rubbish. That is compl- I, to me, that is one of the more ridiculous calls I've ever heard. And the reason is I think... When you say someone's off track and has to safely get back on track, I think that definition has to be scrutinized awfully closely when they are pushed off track when attempting to make a pass and they are still fighting for a position with that person. So uh, in my view, Maldonado was doing everything he could to execute a pass around the outside and was forced off the track by Hamilton in the process. And Hamilton skirted over, so they completed the first corner and they were setting up for the next left-hander. Hamilton moves to mid-track just to get as best of a line as he can, that little, little spot. Maldonado re-enters the track in that place, and then Hamilton immediately turns in as Maldonado's just trying to regain that position on the inside of the actual racetrack instead of still being off the racetrack. And uh, that's when they collide. When they collide, at the actual moment they collide, um, Hamilton is ahead of uh, Maldonado. But that's only because Maldonado was trying to avoid the catastrophe that was almost inevitable at that point. See, I'm not sure that it was, though. Because uh, you say he was forced off the track. I mean, yeah, to stay out beside Hamilton. Right. Um, you, you know, the, yeah, Hamilton was following the line and going out to the, to the edge of the track. But what we saw time after time and other passes that were executed at that corner and others was this sort of two-corner buildup of getting right behind him and then trying to get a better exit off the corner because this guy's got to take a shallower defensive line. So thinking, okay, I, if I'm Maldonado, I'm going to back off, 
come in behind him and then and then work my way around to try to uh, you know try to get a better line through the next next set of corners and whatever. Um, but he wasn't far enough in front of Hamilton to um, to to be passed. I mean, he was, certainly wasn't past Hamilton. Um, it wasn't uh, it wasn't that you know Hamilton was sort of making I don't think a late. Uh, you know, a late attempt to just knock him off the track. It was Hamilton following his line, defending his line, and he even took sort of a shallow entrance to uh, to do that. And so, when you say Maldonado was forced off the track, that's I think the difference. And uh, right, and I know, and I know there's scrutinizing there, but Maldonado, even going along the outside of the corner, was always side by side with Hamilton. It's not even like he had a nose in at the entry of the corner and then he lost it. During the turn-in point, the breaking point, the turn-in point, he was nose to nose with Hamilton through the corner, and I, I I think that's pretty clear in the video. And at that point, Hamilton has to give him room on the racetrack, and he didn't. Well, so Maldonado blames Hamilton. Maldonado agrees with you. Maldonado, I imagine what? <laughs> uh, what he said? He says he tried to put me off the track. He didn't leave any room for me to stay on and do the corner side by side. I jumped over the curb and couldn't avoid the accident. Um, so it just not that he was, you know, he couldn't have slowed down or whatever. He just couldn't avoid it. Um, and uh, he said he should have accepted that he was going to get overtaken as his McLaren's pace faded. It's from uh, an Autospart article. So it's sort yeah, of like... I read the same article, Like, yeah. dude, Hamilton, you know your car is going down. This is a last-ditch effort um, to try to keep one more position. Um, so would the smarter thing have been for Hamilton to give him room and give him the position... Um, saying, okay, I, you know, we've, we have two laps to go. Even if I hold him off for this corner, am I going to be able to hold him off for the next and the next and the next? Because we know how many corners there are right. for two laps. We're already on corner 36 here. Um, <clears throat> so that may have been a poor judgment call. Uh, compounding this whole situation is the fact that this all happens right on the heels of a very bad pit stop from McLaren from, uh, for Hamilton, which what looked like happened to me... Um, is that the front jack that they lifted the car with in the first place actually broke or had some kind of failure. Seemed to physically break because the car was up and then dropped down. Right. So either the guy holding at the front jack man had, you know, hit a lever he wasn't supposed to yet to drop the car prematurely or something was actually just wrong with, the, uh, with that jack, um, which is interesting. So, you know, Hamilton, uh, McLaren overall has done a whole lot of work on pit stops after having a bunch of bad pit stops. Yeah, a bunch we've of talked mis- about it in the past. and yeah. various things. So they said, okay, we changed a bunch of equipment, we changed a bunch of people. And their first pit stop was possibly the fastest one we've seen all year at 2.9 seconds. Yeah. Um, then and then this happens. So whether it's, this is a new front jack, this being a 14 second pit stop. Yeah. Um, so whether this is a new front jack that wasn't you know quite run through its paces and it had you know it had 35 uh, front lifts in it and this was its 36 and, and just was done, or, or whether the guy was you know behaving somehow differently or whatever, or was um, it not at the right lifting point on the jack and it was like teetering on a weird edge and the weight wasn't right or whatever yeah and then the second jack also seemed to not fully work either well the second jack um so so they do have a backup jack guy if in case this happens you know there's another guy standing right there so the first guy did exactly what he should i guess he just pulled right out of the way said you know rather than try to re-mess with it on this jack he he just walks out of the way very quickly the second jack man gets in there you know the tire guys are all still trying to just do their thing at this point right so they're like oh the car is now falling down um with without wheels on it um and, uh, and so the whole thing, which can happen so quickly when it all comes together, as soon as something goes wrong, the whole pit stop becomes this train wreck of a, of a situation. But the second Jackman, from what I could tell, I mean, just to, I don't I don't know who it was, but uh, just looked to be kind of like trembling, like yeah. physically, 
like, oh God, this is me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've been the second Jackman for five years. Right. I've never, I've never had to do my, I've never had to be like actually involved. And all of a sudden, he's like, they're like, okay, this is me. This is what we practiced. But it was just like. Well, it lifted the car, but it didn't lift the car enough. Like the front wheels were still dragging on the ground; they weren't they weren't completely off the ground and free to slide onto yeah, the hub. Yeah. So whether he, in the moment of uh, of of all this happening, being called into action, all this, all of a sudden, uh, you know, didn't quite do something right, or if at that point, yeah, the you know the front wing and something had slipped off weird or whatever, um, you know, and I think at that point they were like. Uh, and, and what makes sense would be to say, okay, hold on, you know, this has gone pear-shaped. Like, let's slow this down for a second, rather than make another error or send the car out with three wheels or something stupid. Like, okay, it's gone wrong, right. but let's take an extra two seconds of pace to sort of like make sure that now in damage control mode we're going to get this right, rather than you know do another sort of two point second, you know, two point nine second pace of uh, of a pit stop. So anyway. Um, so Hamilton is dealing with that. That's probably what put him in this situation. Right. Absolutely. Um, so time-wise on the track. It cost him 10 seconds on the track, which cost him position, forced him to use these tires, which were supposed to be his last, use them much harder to regain the track position, which certainly contributed to the fact that they fell off earlier than they were hoping it would. So, yeah, he, Hamilton absolutely had a tall order on his hands. But in my view, there's, uh, it, there's two things going on. A... Hamilton, in my point of view, made a poor judgment call for exactly what you said prior to the pit stop. You know, if I lose this position, I'm fourth. I'm in damage control. I know my tires are falling off. Am I going to be able to hold him off for another, what, 40 corners? Or what, how many other corners were left in the two, two and a half laps right. we had? So I think in the context, I think we agree so on that part of we it. We agree on that part. But in my view, even on a race case basis, I feel that... Maldonado raced fair and held alongside him on the corner and therefore deserved racing room at the exit of the first right-hander, which he was not given. And I don't think it's entirely – so I don't think it's fair at all to blame him for illegally re-entering the track or unsafely re-entering the track. If the race stewards called it a racing incident, I would have said fine. But – to blame Maldonado to me is a big stretch. Well, I guess this is in the same point that you could say Hamilton should should let him by because, you know, he's in damage control mode. How much longer can you hold him off? You could say I think the exact same thing about Maldonado that when he starts to go wide, um, if he says, Okay, I'm gonna back out of this and get back up to speed because I can clearly I have the pace, let me try this again in another corner, let me try this in a different way, you know, that's what you know, just I think, I think that, or even, I mean, Absolutely. it's a little hard to say because, of course, Hamilton's race ended right there, uh, you know, right in the outside wall there with a uh, broken front suspension and everything. Um, hard to say what Hamilton's car, you know, what, what he would have done over the next two laps. I mean, it was already really pretty ragged. I mean, we've seen Hamilton when he comes out of the car and says, right. yeah, it was really tough at the end. But, you know, this was like visually we could see just fighting with this car right. uh, with the way the tires were. So. It's, it seems you know plausible he may have he may have you know messed himself up off the track if if Maldonado were to say I can be patient with this and and who knows but another couple of corners half a lap one lap two laps whatever what that would have done but uh, I, I think you can sort of say that both ways about uh, Maldonado that hey this guy is clearly not doesn't have the pace I clearly do I can either make this happen right now and force this issue or I can wait another couple of corners and, and maybe get it off more right. easily and I think it's totally fair to say that Maldonado could have definitely use better judgment as well so then we get back to that the race incident on its own and whether Maldonado keeping pace with Hamilton around that first right-hander was 
fair play, and I think it was. I don't think Maldonado did anything wrong by trying to stay with him around the outside of that corner. That's that's I, I guess maybe where the where the disagreement. Yeah, comes and there's in. actually been a lot of of talk um, about the edges of racing circuits. I know this is a big thing in the U, in the UK right now with uh, you know the, the motorsport associations basically saying like, hey, we realize everyone goes off you know the track all the times, but like the edge of the track is the white line. Like act as though there is a wall there, or that that you know if if we make it grass so that you actually slide off and, and whatever. Um, then, then people will avoid it. But if it's concrete, people sort of get creative. And we saw this, you know, at Le Mans and everything as well. And there's lots of cars and lots of different fields and oh, people yeah. going way off track to make these passes. And it just ends up in this kind of this weird middle ground of like, maybe sometimes it's a safer thing to do, but you have to have some kind of consistency there. So if Maldonado, I guess to look at it his way, um, if Hamilton was far ahead enough that, um, you know, he says, I don't, you know, I don't want to leave him room. And it's up to Maldonado to say, um, okay, I can just sort of still make this happen by going off the track. Um, if the whole goal is to say, you know, overall is to say, you know, you race within the edges of the track, you know, the going off track and gaining an advantage by doing so or whatever is just not cool, not something that we're going to be okay with, then the decision Maldonado made was sort of between, uh, was sort of, okay, I'm going to just make this happen by going off track um, rather than backing up and saying, okay, you know, I'm, I'm not in front of him, I'm alongside him, so I should just back off and... I'll get him in the next corner. Yeah. So I, I mean, my I, my I'm, view is if you, my view is if you're alongside, you've earned space on the racetrack, which uh, Hamilton didn't give him. So I mean, that that's that's my view of it. I don't even think I I, I don't even I I think Maldonado would have made the corner fine had Hamilton left a little bit of room for him. So I don't think it was the decision to go around that corner faster then he could have physically made the car go around and then, you know, use the extra radius by going off track to his advantage to stay around him. I think I think that, in my point of view, it seemed like he had the capability to turn, but that Hamilton kept him from being able to do that. And that to me, that's the distinction. Yeah. And well, I think, um, I'm, I'm curious uh, over, the, over the coming days and so on to uh, hear what our fans think. It seems like so far, obviously, the stewards agree that... Uh, that you know Maldonado should be penalized. He's he's received a penalty. That's what moved him back by those twenty seconds. But um, I think this is an excellent chance for uh, our listeners to visit f1show.com and you can leave a comment right on the page there, uh, or you can visit our Facebook page and tweet at us and all you know see our YouTube channel and everything right from there. Yes. Uh, let us know what you think, uh, where you come down on this because uh, it's it's definitely an interesting gray area and you can sort of look at it a variety of different ways when you think about what each guy could have done. Each guy could have done things differently. And I guess that's, that's all easy for us to say, sitting here talking about seeing how it all unfolded. But um, in the moment, in the car, uh, I'm curious to know what our fans think. And I think we can, uh, we can let that one uh, sit yeah, at that. Yeah, we can move on from there. So there's also um, just the overall kind of event, right? The European GP um, at Valencia. Yes. Which, as I mentioned at the top, normally not something people are going to be really looking forward to. It's a snoozer. But what it, told, it really was not a snoozer today. There may have been five laps kind of in the middle where it was like, okay, nothing's really happening. No, this was great but, stuff. But there really was a lot of good on-track action. The, I mean, partly I, some of the pit errors and the, and the Red Bull failure, yeah. those things I don't think are due to the track. I mean, that was just that just can happen anywhere. Which is the luck so of what, the thing, what yeah. you, So I don't think it's all about the tires and the temperatures. Um, it didn't seem like, you know, the tires just worked, you know, markedly better for any one team than any other team or any one driver. It just seemed like, you know, there was, it was hot temperatures, but it was, I think, as predicted. You know, there wasn't any weird last-minute swing of temperatures that really caught anyone, anyone out. But um, so it just seems like 
you know, the formula this year that with, I mean, we saw in qualifying, just the pace being so, so similar, except Vettel being amazing and ridiculous in his own. Yeah, I don't even Except yeah. that, you know, especially once he was taken out of the equation, it really opened up the rest of the race and really just came very interesting in the last, in the closing laps. But so do you think that's down to the tires mostly? So, yeah. So first of all, uh, you know, for those, some of you may notice that we're on the Facebook page or go to the F1show.com on a regular basis. I actually wrote a column about this. And uh, in in a way, I'm pleased to see that uh, my prediction kind of came true in the sense that this race was exciting. And I would argue for the first time ever, it was an exciting race. Um, F1 show slash column, if you're interested in that stuff in general. End of plug. But I do think that the tires still play the single biggest role. I think it is fair to say that another contributing factor is that we've also had more teams that are closer to the front than we've had in the past. But ultimately, what has driven this uh, high amount of competition and high amount of passing is the fact that um, Valencia is a hot place. The tires are super sensitive to heat. We heard it multiple times um, on pit communications, the radio transmissions. You're nearing that critical temperature for the tires. Be careful. Um, People had to manage tires. There was a lot of different tire strategies going on. You know, uh, you know, Michael Schumacher, for example, was on the medium tire instead of the soft tire at the start of the race and kind of had an inverted tire strategy. Um, so the tire strategy and the tire behavior played a huge role in how this Valencia race um, played itself out. And then on top of that, we have seen Mercedes be stronger than they were last year, a little bit closer to the front. And then teams like Sauber and Force India and Williams really come in as well. So, yeah, I would agree that that was a secondary factor that made a big part and had a big role in this because more teams are more competitive. But still, I think the tires really helped make this race work. Yeah, well, it's interesting. So if you look at, um, you know, Weber um, out in Q1 starting 19th or whatever it was, um, after all was said and done with uh with every you know with Hamilton out of the race and so on ending up fourth um so that's that's just i mean it's brilliant driving it's just making it happen getting the strategy just right getting the car working just right the driver working just right um but other you know but otherwise he wasn't uh in this tangle for the podium um you know he wasn't really a factor at the end of the race i mean with with i would say you know Vettel uh, Alonso, Grosjean, Raikkonen, you know, the guys at the sort of the top five midway through the race before Vettel's failure and then Grosjean's failure. Um, so I think, yeah, having, having the Red Bulls not be a factor at the top of it certainly opened it up for the rest of the, for the rest of the top guys to, uh, to mix around a little bit, but it really sort of, I mean, it was a, a ultimately sort of pretty mixed up grid, um, with the Ferrari starting in the middle. And then, yep. I mean, for Alonso to come back and win from there, which especially in Spain in front of his home crowd, the whole deal there. Um, for uh, Massa ended up having a pretty disappointing day, um, and but these things, I mean, falling, the, falling apart. To be fair, that wasn't really Massa's fault this time. You know, right. he had collisions. That and was some that of the w- things that right. That, that, let me see. Massa was disappointing, but he had a disappointing day with yeah. uh, with collisions and whatnot. So, I mean, partly it was the, you know certainly parts of it that just can happen on any race weekend, right? When right. The, when the lead guy is t- suddenly out of the race, and then the, then the second-place guy is suddenly out of the race, and that just, you know, helps shift things around and move things forward to help see different guys at the top. You know, those can be exciting um, anywhere they happen. So, uh, you know, it's I guess the question is, if the tire formula changes, um, you know, well, first of all, there was a lot of talk about 
you know, two maybe two races in Spain is too many. Maybe Alonso fever has died down enough that maybe it's not <laughs> worth having two. Maybe you know we should have you know, and then there's also money troubles and everything else with other circuits. So should we have this alternate with Spa or should we have France alternate with with whatever? You know, different ways of sort of moving around. Well, that I mean, y- briefly, nothing should alternate with Spa. Spa should definitely have its own dedicated event. But we agree, except yeah, yeah the realities of running a racetrack mean that it may have Understood. to happen. But yeah. um, so. So the question is, like, should we lobby for this Grand Prix to stay on the calendar now because it's like, hey, it's good now? Yeah. and, and Or is and, it that these tires are more, make anything more exciting? And that's – yeah. And so I would say more the la- – you could maybe say, okay, it wasn't just the tires. It was also that the teams have gotten a lot closer this year or X, Y, and Z happened. But I still think, you know, a big complaint about Valencia is it's super hard to pass and it's just not very exciting. It becomes much more parade-like. Well, a big reason why we saw a lot of passes was – traction coming out of corners one guy having better traction than another guy you know so it wasn't durs and curs so much but it was just the ability one one tire being better than another on one or another car that played a huge role so the but the ultimate the big question is was this was this race good because it's a good track and i would still definitely say no i think it was just good because the season's really good and it would have been good almost anywhere and it probably still would have been better at a better track Right, like I can't imagine this race, if if it were ever possible to say this race happening in a different place, because of course it's all going to be different. But right. saying you know this would have been it's much better here than it would have been at Road America or something. Right, you know and you just can't. I don't think you know really follow that logic to say like yes, we really need a lobby to keep the Valencia Street Circuit on the calendar. We cannot you know right. we can't give that spot up to you know a Paul Ricard in France or a, right. you know, any, you know some, some other thing to really say like this this track really made it magical by the way formula 1 at road america would be amazing but I, the other thing to think about i mean another one of the reasons why cuz this was as close as we've ever seen it in qualifying yeah and i think one of the reasons you might be able to argue that too is because in my personal opinion it's not a terribly challenging place hmm. you know the corners to me all look very similar you know they don't look it's not like all 25 corners look the same but none of them none of them are one there's no big challenge corner right they all they either all sweep left and right pretty similar or you have a 90 degree corner and then another 90 degree corner and then this thing is there's yeah, not there's, like there's a couple of little high speed sections where you sort of see someone hustling through there with walls on either side and you think that's pretty cool and then also i think having the sharp corner Right before start finish, you know the lat turn twenty seven yeah, or yeah. whatever that is, um, where turn twenty five, which you yeah. either go straight into the pits uh, or or you kind of make this corner. I think there is something sort of psychologically cool about that corner, which is kind of like um, the uh, you know with, with a bus stop chicane. Um, is that hung? No, where, where the heck? Where's the, uh, the? Don't remember the last bus stop chicane right before start finish. But it's like when you can see start finish. And you know you're setting a let, you know you're like on a especially in qualifying, right, right, right. You're like, and then all you right, I'm coming down. up, I've got a good lap. Yeah. It's so easy, I think, to just want to push that extra bit harder, and you can't. You know, you have to be correct. You can't just like, because if you overcook it either on the entrance and, and over slow, uh, or, or 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 break yourself, and then there's there's a little bit of runoff there or whatever. Like Absolutely. you have to stick to it. But it's like, you know, it's just a couple of car lengths from the you know that corner. Um, up to up to the start finish straightaway, so you, it's an it's a you know really slow corner. So there's that part of it that's like every time you're you're coming around, you're you know watching the clock tick up on the on this current lap, and you're like, oh man, the target is is this time, and I'm already at this time, and you're like, I want to get there. There's there is something kind of exciting, I think, about about that part of it. But you know, beyond that, 
Um, yeah, it is. It's it's flat. There is the bridge that goes over water, but by Man. the time it's got the all the stuff around the sides of it, it's not like this is you know any amazing bridge to to look at or whatever. I mean, it's like got the harbor. But now, if the bridge, it's a rotating bridge. Now, if it was rotating open and closed during the race, right? If then it was, we might if have it was like a drawbridge partway open, I would <laughs> I would be in for that. You know, there's there's definitely ways you could make that part of it more exciting, or like that wibbly wobbly bridge. You know, when you get yes, to Tacoma Narrows, you, you know, yeah, if you had something like that, like it. Uh, then 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 we'd be in for that. But uh, as it happens, uh, it's you know anyway. So um, I mean, no matter what, so. Just a couple of highlights from my article. Um, it they have made an agreement with the Spanish GP to start in 2013 to start alternating dates with the Spanish GP. So Valencia would drop its role as European Grand Prix and would become a Spanish Grand Prix held every other year. And in 2013 um, would be a Barcelona year. So no matter what, we're not going to go to Valencia next year. Well, however, we say no matter what. I'll... Well, okay. <laughs> At the and then on Wikipedia, which you know has, you know, uh, varying levels of reliability depending on who you talk to. Wikipedia stated even further that Valencia was going to be off the counter completely, and they're looking for another venue for a European Grand Prix. But I couldn't find any article to back that up. There was nothing in the sources of the Wikipedia page to to substantiate that. So the last official thing where I've seen multiple articles to confirm something is that. It's going to be alternating with uh, Catalonia, um, and so the next time we're going to Valencia at the earliest is 2014, as of right now. As of who knows, yeah, uh, that's been admitted in public to people that are able to write articles about it and that we can read and so on. Exactly. Uh, yeah, of course, the bus stop you can't think enough is at Spa. I thought so, but I don't want to sound stupid, but here we are, um, which is just right before. It's just you know the only sort of real chicane. At, uh, at the whole circuit, and it's right before start-finish. So I guess, you know, maybe that was part of the inspiration for that whole deal or whatever. But so talking about 2013, um, you know, there's been, you know, I actually posted this article the other day, you know, Bernie Ecclestone saying, oh, yeah, no, it's just, you know, there's no way the circuit's going to be ready. It's definitely not going to be a U.S. Grand Prix, or sorry, Grand Prix of America at the New Jersey Port Imperial right. Street Circuit. right. For 2013, was asked that question. He said, definitely not. You know, we'll have to see if they're ready for, the, you know, for 14, but 13, definitely not. Um, so on the grid uh, today in in, uh, in Spain, um, our pit reporter for uh, Will Buxton for Speed or for Fox um, asked him, "Okay, so what about these comments that you know that's not going to be available? That there's not going to be the U.S. Sorry, Grand Prix of America uh, <laughs> the in, 20, in 2013? He's, the what? 2015? Like, what? And he's like almost like who said that? And he's like, dude, <laughs> you, you <did>. said that <laughs> the other day. So we know that what Bernie says isn't fact, but it's." Part of a part of a larger story of he's saying it's not going to happen, so that someone somewhere will read that, so that he can get his opinion to. Or it's the whatever. random squabbles of a kaji old man. Or he's confused. Possibly. And <laughs> I mean, I'm not old, ruling that one out. Who either. knows? Fair enough. Yes, that that could be a <laughs> random old conjure. Uh, yeah. So there is um, some, I guess, more doubt maybe has been cast over the 2013, not the, not the Just New, like not there the New was Jersey a, track. I mean, at certain points, there was a lot of doubt cast about the 2012 race uh, at the Grand Prix, at the Circuit of the Americas for the U.S. Grand Prix coming up in 2012. Um, I think it's too early to say one way or the other. We saw a lot of progress. The thing that's a little bit hard for me to fully understand is that the circuit is there. It exists. It's just a matter of configuring it correctly and getting all the stuff ready. And so how much of that needs to be done before way ahead of time? Like, I guess if it's a challenge of having to repave everything, 
and that's the issue. Like that's that's what I don't understand. Like certainly, for example, going up the hill in the promenade. And if you if you don't know what we're talking about, you have to go to f1show.com and go to our YouTube link and see our videos. We did a really cool video of this. Um, not to toot our own horn, but we had a horn right here. Anyway, uh, you're going up the hill, and there's like speed bumps. There's speed bumps on the road to keep you from going too fast in a streetcar. Obviously, the Formula One car is not going to want to have that. Um, certain sections could be ro- part of the fun. I don't know. Certain sections of the road were way off camera. That's probably not going to work for Formula One. There's things like that that they may need to repave it. So maybe that's the time-consuming part. But in terms of like putting up fencing and that kind of stuff, I mean, that's you gotta, can't do that until right. That's got to happen later. But I guess there may be more to it that they're not. We're not. We don't know. Uh, and that may be what, what Bernie is talking to, right? If that is – this is like residents of New Jersey versus – of, of Port, you know, West New York, New Jersey and Port Imperial versus race promoters. And they're saying, okay, well, we're not going to allow this because we can stop you. You know, we have this, – this intersection is public property and we say, you know, we're voting on something. You know, there may be something like that. Yeah. Um, and then the economic development people are looking at that saying, hey, we – you know, this is going to be a whole lot of money coming to our neighborhood. So we need this. And if, if all of a sudden they're like, oh, wait, what if it's not going to happen? Maybe some calling someone's bluff. I think there may be some sort of – Behind the scenes, there always is with these Almost things, Almost certainly, right? yeah. So it's probably not, is the circuit going to be ready, as in the circuit itself, but it's like, is the event going to be ready to happen, or is there still going to be some, you know, someone, some legislation, or is there is there still a lot of public opinion against it, or people that, uh, you know, are, are, whatever, causing trouble that will... Uh, that will affect this and, and not wanting this in their neighborhood. I don't know. By the way, quick PS, um, the Robin doing donuts on the Port Imperial Street Circuit while it's still an open public road fund is still at $0. So at this point, there will be no donuts to be had because I am not staying in jail. There's not money to post bail. I'm not doing it. Just an FYI for those that are in the know about that. Yeah. But... So I came across this the other day on Circuit of the Americas. This is the track in Texas now. Yes. Host of this year's. I mean, it's still it's a ways off. It's November, but it's this year. I mean, it yes. is still part of the season. Um, Normal people tickets are on sale. This Yeah, this year's, um, the heck is it called? U.S. Grand Prix. <laughs> uh, it's, it's tough, man. It's, it's, it's weird. It's the Grand Prix of the States United. Uh, of the of America. The, the Confederacy? Circuit. What? Oh, boy. Um, so Circuit of the Americas, um, yeah, there was some of this question uh, because it was like one company to – build the track and then another company that says you know once the track is there they're saying oh we're the company that's going to be the actual race promoter it's the pennzoil don't mess with texas grand prix Ooh, that might actually be true <laughs> that who knows what the thing will end that. up being that's called. what we're going to call it from now on all right um so there was you know who's who's changing hands and what do the contracts mean and blah 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 but uh so moto gp had been announced to be running at circuit of the americas um, but there was there's been a couple of sort of photo updates, and obviously Mario Andretti is the ambassador for the you know for the circuit now right, and all right. these things. But if you look at their sign, there's big like home of the world's championships, and it's got the F1 logo and it's got the MotoGP logo, except that MotoGP is covered up, so it's kind of this like half logo of whatever. So hmm. I looked into it a little bit, and so now on Circuit of the Americas, there's no mention of MotoGP there anymore. Ah. Um, there's, if you search for it, there's a bunch of articles from last summer when they announced the deal, but I think there may be more to that than we know about yet. That seems like some deals may be switching around. We also heard that uh, V8 supercars would be coming to Circuit of yep. the Americas, which would be great. Um, but, you know, hopefully everything is great, and the F1 race will happen, and the circuit will you know, do well and be a cool, you know, world-class racetrack that we, we have in our we country and all definitely that. definitely want the circuit to do well. Um, you know, but uh, it is a little bit concerning if, if there are deals that are happening and things that are changing. Um, 
you know, uh, of course, the MotoGP isn't going to be under under Bernie's umbrella, but he has you know a lot of connections in various areas, and who knows what uh, what deals are going into what. But uh, I just you know, hopefully everything works well, and you know, once now the tickets are on sale and all that, it's it's you know certainly going forward um, for this year. But who knows if uh, if if there's some other you know so and so needs a hundred million, right. million more dollars to. Uh, and something else happened. It's a little bit ner- nervous about uh, the official. That. The official sign-off is either mid-August or end of August or something like that. And that's when Charlie Whiting's going to visit the track. That's fully paved at that point, and give the green light to it. Yes, you know, green light or not green light, the track at that point. So I mean, things are going along. Things are pretty far along. So I feel reasonably confident that at least the race for this first year is going to happen. And once the track's built and the money's been spent, there's going to be a lot of effort. And I would love to see. IndyCar come. I would love to see ALMS and Grand Am come. I would love to see Skip Barber come in some of those series. There's a lot of potential for that track to be really cool. 24 and really Hours useful. of Lemons could run there. <laughs> Very possibly. Yeah, absolutely. And the, so. the F1 show sponsored uh, race car. Yeah. Uh, so that, anyway, uh, here's hoping that uh, that comes together well and, and, we, and we move on from there. Um, Another couple uh, just mentions from this weekend, though. It's kind of gotten way off into uh, Texas land and, and New Jersey and everything. Don't mess with Texas. Buy Pennzoil. <laughs> Why Pennzoil? <laughs> I don't but, know. Whatever. Okay. Sounded good. Um, there's uh, John Eric Fern uh, has the strictest of penalties and that he was given a 10-grid spot penalty for Silverstone. This is not a penalty that affects him today, but a, fa- a penalty that will mess with him uh, in, in the next race in England. And a uh, €25,000 fine for uh looking you know, up the skirt of oh i'm sorry i'm reading uh, something else hecky kovaline yeah no, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah just an avoidable contact but because they sort of uh you know this may partly be um due to the sort of spectacular crash weber had um with with a caterham then as well actually um or it was a lotus then but <laughs> whatever whatever <laughs> uh, with a green and white car uh, but uh they said oh this was a, you know not just Oh, he gained an advantage and blah blah blah. I was like, no, this was actually a pretty serious deal. Um, and so, you know, they decided to apply two penalties. So, they, you know, the twenty-five thousand euro fine. I guess you know he's probably got money and their sponsors and whatever. And that's going to make him sad, but it's not going to like that's not going to be a huge impact on his on his life or his career. But uh, yeah, you know, it's it's a bit certainly disappointing to head into a weekend, um, especially what is uh, you know a home race for a lot of teams. It's really not for STR being an Italian team and uh, and Vern being French, but. Um, just to, you know, to, to go into the weekend knowing wherever I qualify, I'm automatically going to have to move back 10 spots, regardless if I have to change a gearbox and it's on top of that, or if I do anything else right. that's wrong, it's on top of that. Like, it's just, but again, know, I'm going to mess him up going forward. Considering SDR's pace as of late and Vern's performance in general, I mean, he's pretty much going to be at the back of the grid. Right. So if I were Vern, I would probably, um, phone my, uh, qualifying in next race and just have a lot of fresh tires for the actual race and not worry about qualifying too right. much. Just set up something within the 107%. Yeah. And as far as the 25,000 euros concerned, I mean, frankly, I, I, I don't fully get the, the, the cash penalty for these type of things. If it was an instant on track, affect the performance on track. I would have been even happier, I guess, since he was, uh, you know, out of the race. You know, ideally like you want to... adding 20 seconds to his time. Right. Ideally you want to you punish someone um, during the same event that the incident happened, right? Barring that, if you can't do that because a guy retired as a result and he still feels like he needs a punishment, yeah, 10 grid spot penalty. Make it a 10 grid spot penalty or make it a 15 grid spot penalty. Like, or make it something like you're going to get 20 seconds out of your race no matter what happens or something like that. But at the fine, I don't... 
Yeah. I don't feel like that adds anything to it. That's just, you know, fluff at the end. Yeah, or, you know, what really, I guess, gets the team where it hurts is would, would be constructors' points or something, or, or even yeah, points to say, exactly. like, hey, dude, this was, you know, this that's, you know, minus five points or something now to say this, this is going to mess you up, because that is prize money, and that is, there's everything, you know, points really at the end of the season is everything, so... Uh, also, Kobayashi, for uh, his maneuver in one of those uh, faster faster bends at this track, who uh, ended up colliding with Felipe Massa, um, was given a five-grid spot penalty for Silverstone. So qualifying uh, will, for, for Silverstone will be, here's how they qualified, and then a whole separate order of people for here's how they actually will start the race. So we have that to look forward to. But um, that was just kind of a, another, like, kind of poking the nose in at, at an unexpected spot on the track, not really a spot where you'd, where you expect someone to pass. So Massa's just doing his thing and ends up with, um, you know, the right hand of his car, all, uh, right right hand side of his car, um, connected with a, a Sauber of, uh, of Kobayashi. So uh, disappointing for them. Um, and, yeah, he gets his, you know, penalty for Silverstone as well. Um, that... Pretty much just leaves Jensen Button. Yeah, he was happy with his pace today. How he was his was. pace today? And it I wasn't was not, not happy. He fantastic. says he's, he's not disappointed with his pace. Well, you know it, it. So obviously, he's been making a lot of waves recently, just with his lack of performance. And uh, I think, in general, the comparisons to Felipe Massa and some of the calls about how poorly he's been doing have been quite a bit exaggerated and overstated. I think, uh, quite clearly, some of his runs that really look bad on paper were just unfortunate incidents that happened on track or some things like certainly uh Canada for example you know he missed um almost all of P2 and there was some pretty obvious setbacks there that being said he does seem to have in general struggled more than most with 2012 Pirelli tires and they seem to be looking into blaming and searching for the solution with setup. And if that's really the case, or if it's just the way Button drives uh, does which not suit the Pirelli tire. Which is usually easy on the tires, which is weird. You know? Exactly. He's been able to get more laps than anyone out of some of these tires. But maybe being easy on the tire is the problem because these tires need to be hot enough to work, but not too hot. And that seems to be a shorter window than usual. Maybe Button tends to not get the tires hot enough, or maybe he's yeah. getting the fronts hot enough and not the rears. I don't know. So just to look at the, the results for a second, Jensen today finished eighth as, after starting ninth on the grid, which sounds really good. And this you, you sort of think about, okay, well, that's after Vettel's out and who was in front of him. That's after Grosjean is out who was in front of him. That's after Lewis was out who was in front of him. You know, it was – and Massa. Right. Um, there's lots – He would not have collected points right. just on And if you alone. look at, you know, ahead of him, I mean, Alonso won from 11th, Schumacher on the podium from 12th, uh, Weber, fourth place from 19th. You know, it's like there were a lot of, you know, a lot of passing happened. Yeah. Partly in pits and tires and whatnot, partly in on-track craziness, as we talked about. Right. Um, but none of that really happened from Button. He had a couple of on-track passes, but it was really, uh, you know, it's just it's just not there. And the fact that he says, like, well, you know, we kind of did what we could. It's not like, oh, well, this, you know, maybe we'll find out in a week's time. Oh, that chassis was actually cracked in some way that we didn't realize, and now we fixed it. But it's like 
they will have thought of that. It's been enough races now. They're not, it's not like McLaren is like, oh, well, you know, we'd love to give him a new car. We just don't have the money or we just don't know how to do it. It's like, <laughs> you know. It's God, not, I wish we knew how to do that. I wish we, yeah, I wish we had some way of like figuring out what's wrong with our car. I mean, it's a world-class team, obviously. But here's the other thing that's weird. I, 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 I totally hear what you're saying. But in Q2 of qualifying in Valencia, um, Button was, you know, hundreds away from Hamilton. They were on top of each other. And then in Q3, all of a sudden, his time was half second off. And, and then, then in the, the race... It, and then in the race, you know, he had a terrible start. And he said, I had a terrible start, but then the pace was okay. Well, okay, but you had a terrible start, and that's a big, important part of it. And, you know, we've seen you have terrible starts before, and then manage your tires brilliantly and move up the field. Like, why wasn't he in that train with Mark Weber and Michael Schumacher? Yeah. You know what I mean? He was, again, he was the first person to pit because he had worn out his tires the quickest. So... Something is weird. And pitting that early put him back into like 20th or something yeah. and then just was, you know, moved up a bit through the order from there, but not uh, not enough to matter. Yeah, so it's, I mean, so, it's weird. So that's what, so I get the point I'm trying to make is twofold. One, his pace isn't consistently slow, but it's it's slow at the worst possible times. <laughs> and, but it's it, it's also, it's also uncharacteristic to his, um, his usual behavior you know, that we've come to really since 2009 really see and appreciate is his ability to think through a race strategically, manage tires, manage everything else, be easy on the car. These type of things aren't happening. So, um, yeah, there's still definitely work to do. And I must repeat, however, though, that I think kind of some of these, some of the people are being are way overstating how bad it is for button. It's been a few races and it's been inconsistent at times. He definitely has some issues. He's got to sort out, but it's not all of a sudden dire straits. And is this the end of buttons career type stuff? You know what I mean? Like it's been a little bit apocalyptic in my opinion. Right. I don't think it's like career endingly bad. It's just, it's like everyone can get into a slump of, of badness, whether that's over-aggression from Lewis Hamilton, whether that's just car reliability, like, you know, some issues Schumacher's been having and it's just been lots of problems that aren't really his fault, or whether that's just, you know, I just don't have my setup figured out right now or, I, right. you know, I can't get used to these new brakes or whatever, whatever it is that people have. It's just, I think we've gotten to that, past that point where it's like, I feel like you would have sorted that by now. So, yeah. like, you know, if I look at the... Uh, I've got my, my stats, uh, you know, pulled up here. Like we, we've talked about in the past, it's a bit of this sort of seesaw of, of brilliance and, and terrible. But, um, you know, with Jensen's qualifying, uh, you know, performance, um, you know, we've got a, a 14th, an 18th, a 10th, a, you know, 16th, a, um, you know, oh, that's the finishes, sorry. Um, his qualifying is not so bad, but yeah, 12th, that's 10th. What I, exactly, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's like... It's not so bad it's to qualify. It's it, terrible. It, it it's sounds just, worse than it, it actually goes, is. It all goes wrong. Yeah, so his race results, he's got those 16th. Yeah. He, he was 16th again today, wasn't he? Oh, wow. Huh. No, no, no. No, he wasn't 16th Well, today. why does it say he's 16th? The, 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 what are you looking at? Because this stuff isn't updated. This is round seven Oh, you stuff. didn't put that online yet. Your you were supposed to put it online. Oh, I was supposed to put that online. <laughs> yeah, I he finished 16th in Canada. No, because he, he, he got his two points. He was eighth. What are you, what are you trying to confuse me? He didn't get two points. He got three. If he was eighth, he got four. Oh. Four. Now you're definitely trying to confuse me. I am confusing myself. Okay. Okay, so actually it wasn't on our list, but there was one other thing I did want to touch on briefly because it was a big part of our weekend last weekend, and that is the 24 hours of lemons. I mean, Le Mans. Yes. Which is uh, 
quite a serious race, actually, and I do believe they spent way more than $500 on those cars. Um, you and I are both... Uh, uh, I would say I, I'm not. This, I'm actually not a fan of Audi road cars in general. I don't tend to like them, and I'm a BMW guy, so you know there's a little bit of a rivalry to there. Take that for what it is. But both of us obviously have huge respect for the uh, Audi Le Mans team, and uh, they came in huge force um, this time around with four cars: two e-tron um, flywheel-based hybrids and two just super light diesels. And uh, they had new competition, not from um, uh, Peugeot, but from Toyota. Those who, rat bastards. <laughs> inside thing. Uh, who uh, brought their hybrid car of their own that we've been kind of following, really excited to watch. Um, also, there was a lot of ex-Formula 1 talent. In... 22 ex-F1 drivers yeah. in the field at, uh, at Le Mans. Yep. And a quick shout-out to my boy, Spencer Pompelli, who is in... Uh, he's a friend of mine from Skip Barber Days. He's a Skip Barber instructor and also a um, very accomplished GT driver. But somehow, the way the rules work, managed to be considered an amateur, so he was in the GT amateur class. And uh, he was there. He did really well. He was with the Flying Lizard Porsche team. So anyway, a little bit of personal stuff for us, but uh, watching Audi do what they did, watching um, them finish 1, 2, 3, 5, and uh, Toyota struggle. If it struggle. for that blasted Nick Heidfeld and yeah. his Lotus. <laughs> and, the, uh, and the Delta Wing in addition, which is a really neat concept. And yeah, the two, the two things that I was most excited about for Le Mans this year um, were probably the Toyotas to see as a – they had definitely had pace um, but did not have all the, all the experience. Obviously, you know, Audi's got this just Le Mans dynasty going right now. Um, the most successful streak of wins with like t- ten y- ten wins in I twelve mean, years yeah, now or whatever. It's just insane. Um, and then uh, and, and and truthfully, it's eleven out of twelve. One of those ten that isn't theirs is Bentley, which was still their car. Right. Um, yeah. So uh, anyway, you know, just so there was the Toyota seeing how they can you know fight that giant if they will, because Toyota, of course, being a giant in the world of, of road cars and, and just you know global companies, but without all the Le Mans experience. Um, and then also the Delta Wing, yeah. uh, which is an American project, uh, which is Highcroft Racing, which are guys I've worked with with LMS before and through and through work. And, well, they uh, didn't come up with the car, but they're the ones kind right, of so, running but, the but race they're, team. They're running the race team, yeah. Of, but yeah, you know, it's it's Dan Gurney, Ben Bowlby, um, you know, all, all these guys that uh, are involved with this project, and it's just it's kind of a cool. Um, it was it was originally for uh, you know proposed as one of the you know indie cars of yeah, 2012, which 2012 of course they went a, a different way. And I can't imagine a fleet of Delta wings like a whole I, I a whole field of Delta wings would be and crazy. I, I have to I think Indy made the right call with that. I think we had a right. Discussion no, I think about they did. It. Yeah, but uh, but, but anyway, it's an excellent Le Mans car yes. concept. It's very cool. So for me, unfortunately, those two things were all sort of done about halfway through the race. I think it was when the the, the uh, second Toyota had engine trouble and couldn't continue, but there was a spectacular crash for Anthony Davidson, of course, Formula One driver, um, uh, in the Toyota when a gentleman driver uh, in a Ferrari crashed into him. Um, and uh, and then also the Delta Wing was punted off the track by ex-Formula One driver Kaz Nakajima <laughs> yeah. in a Toyota, yeah. of all things. He actually later came down in the pits and, and apologized to the Delta Wing team, which is not something you see every day, yeah. to say, you know, not just like a, some, something, some interview to the media or whatever, but like personally... Came down to the garage and was like, "Dude, I'm sorry." And there was, I, I don't imagine, think he said, "Dude," but he, you know, yeah, there's probably a fair amount of bowing. I mean, because the Delta Wing project is now attached to Nissan. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was very interested to see the Delta Wing. Uh, I'm still, I've read articles about it now, still don't fully understand how that thing turns. They basically claim that because the, um, because the weight uh, ratio front to rear is so biased towards the rear, and that the front's so light, is that the front wheels can turn the car very efficiently, but it still doesn't, 
still doesn't intuitively compute in my right. brain. Which is, but I mean, but it works. But that, that it was competitive. That's what was so cool. I mean, that that to me is is part of what's so cool about yeah. about sports car racing in general. But especially the twenty four hours of Le Mans. Yeah, is you've got these super high budget, crazy. What can we possibly do with technology teams like yeah. Audi and Toyota, um, and you know to a lesser extent, the rest of the prototypes. But really, that those are the powerhouses right now. Right, sure. Um, and, then, and so it's like, you know, really amazing engineering, but also the whole team structure and everything really working as, as, a, as a very high top-level motorsport team. But also, you get the crazy. Well, even you know, running diesels, when that was, when, before that was a thing, that was a bit of a crazy. And then running hybrids, and then to win with hybrids, and, then, and just to sort of as this proving ground. So we saw the delta wing turns. It goes left and right. And it, it turns, and, and it, it was, turned. It did some reasonable lap It was competitive with the LMP2, LMP2 times. I mean, and it was And with a 1.6 liter engine making like 300 horsepower or something, right. which is great, a great story for Nissan to tell about their engines and yeah. their efficiency it's a and everything. It's a thousand pound car, so what's that make it? Like 400-ish kilos? Right. So car so it's, it's just it's, a very cool concept and the fact that they're allowed to race that and not just be some goofball science experiment but it's a goofball science experiment among this whole crazy racetrack right. and among this whole event and whatever it was very cool to see it does it d- did look awfully exposed though didn't it around all the other cars right and it was i mean it proved to be and that, that was yeah the case. and and there was you know the concern being because it doesn't have these big fenders like these other cars that you know cause nakajima maybe just you know didn't see it where he would have seen a normal car or whatever right. but Whatever. There's the, that's well, we don't need to go into the racing incidents and, and all the entire other series. No, of course not. Um, I have to say though, I was I have I was properly gutted for Alan McNish, who was trying to get around a back marker. And again, it's this whole judgment thing. Um, you know, it became an internal fight for which Audi was going to win, and it was between the number one car, which had Lautner in the car, and I forget if Bessler is the other. I forget the other guy's name. Andre Lauter, Marcel Fassler, and Benoit Trelier. Yes. Against the you know the Dynamo team, which is Depello, McNish, and Christensen, um, Dindo Capello, and pro- probably his last Le Mans ever, right? And, and all that, yeah. and it looked like uh, it looked like they had a serious chance at winning this thing, and uh, uh, due to the problems that the one car had earlier and the two car had problems, so they kind of traded their issues, but then just you know I don't know what it was like ninety minutes to go, McNish ends up um, taking out the left front corner or the right front corner. Of the R18 e-tron, one one extra pit stop ends up pretty much being a lap down, and he, uh, he was that was the that was the most unhappy person I've seen on a podium in a long, yeah. long time. Yeah, and uh-huh. uh, I mean, so especially I really yeah, being Dindo send off and the whole thing, but right. but you know, well done for Audi, especially you know the the young guns team who are now two time in a row champions of yeah. the same team, same lineup of guys went from winning in a diesel to winning in a hybrid diesel. I mean, and they were also the ones that started from pole, right? It's so well done on that. Although you know, qualifying means a whole lot less over 24 hours, and even it still. Know, I'm just saying. But yes, yeah, they they were able to do that and and do that. So anyway, um, I think that pretty well covers Formula One and Le Mans for the minute. <laughs> uh, and we need to hear from our fans. This time around doesn't always happen. We actually have email. To talk about on listener feedback, which is quite exciting. Someone fired up their email program and typed in uh, feedback at f1show.com. Which is super amazing. Uh, a huge shout out to Joshua Anderson, who wrote us a very lovely uh, email. And uh, I'll read a couple sentences of it here. Um, Jim and Robin, my friends and I have been inspired by the idea you mentioned of doing Taste of F1. And I thought the two of you would get a kick out of what we've been up to so far this season. It started with Burgers with the Lot, 
for Australia and has gone up in complexity from there. So burgers with a lot is already way too complex for us. Right. And uh, he, he went more complex from there. So um, he went on to say we don't claim – we don't make any claim to, to extreme authenticity um, – but we have been putting in a good effort, and it's been mostly homemade except for Malaysia. So um, that is sweet that we inspired. Like, this is the kind of thing, like, when we do the show and we talk about, oh, it's cool that we're involved in this side of it. This type of thing is really exciting to me and really makes me happy when we inspire someone to do something on their own like that that is, you know, unique and interesting. And they, I mean, they've gone on to describe for each race what they've done. And it's incredible. It's great. Yeah, they are so much more dedicated to that idea than, than we've been. Because <laughs> if there's not a readily available something, uh, we'll, we're pretty quick to jump to convenience at that point. Although, I guess in our defense, we also, you know, our, our race-watching day also includes, you know, producing a podcast and, and yes. everything that goes along with that. Yes. But a couple of these are a little bit... Uh, a little bit cheeky, uh, like you know, some of the uh, nod towards the protests in Bahrain with uh, with flaming drinks uh, as a la Molotov cocktail or whatever. There's yes, a, yes, a couple of fun things. So, but yeah, looks like great stuff. Uh, we're looking to actually make a, a blog post out of it. So uh, keep an eye on uh, on the on the Facebook page or on f1show.com in the uh, in the coming days because I think we may be able to publish some of that stuff and uh, should be kind of sweet. But we're not going to be outdone in taste race either because next time is the British Grand Prix and you know what that means. Yeah, all oh, curry. No. Oh. <laughs> Fish and chips. It's the one time. I mean, I have had fish and chips. What is probably the most regularly, that's the most routine thing in my life, is my annual fish and chips it's for the been British years Grand Prix. now as well. It's been several years that we've done this. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it's been awesome every time. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll get curry sauce for the chips, though, at least. We'll, we'll, go, we'll do that nod. To well, they have, like, the curry. They have that at the place. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yes. Right. It's going to be exciting. There's yeah. carbs in it, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's because, so I was actually in England, and of course you were in Germany and everything, yet, and yet we don't do the taste of the race there. But you know, when it comes down to fish and chips, we are, uh, we are all about you know, pretending that that's what English people eat all the time. It, well, it, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> also, I, I, we want to give a thank you to Paul Perry, who um, uh, get, sent us a quick email saying, Gents, great podcast again, guys. Wait, did I say Yeah, okay. Gents, great podcast. Great pod again, guys. Okay. Watch this classic stuff. And he went on. He actually sent us a couple of YouTube videos uh, about the 1957 um, uh, Formula One season with British domination and uh, also the 1969 season with Hill in a Lotus. So um, these are some cool um, YouTube videos. They're actually pretty long on YouTube standards. Uh, kind of explaining these seasons, they're uh, cool to watch. So, well, it's the it's the original coverage. So yeah. first of all, it's in like 1957 voice of you know it's kind of like half yes. talking, half yelling. Like, and this guy comes to the grid, he's got this, and then this guy's gonna have that, and it's like kind of this old <laughs> style, which is kind of weird. Uh, but then when it's, you know talking about some of this, you know, in in 57, you know, with two drivers sharing the win, yeah, you know, crazy stuff. Uh, it fixed his car on the track side with wire from a straw bale. Uh, you know, there's, you know, he's saying the, uh, they use a saw on the grid to modify the wing to fit the new regulations in 1969. I mean, yeah. just like, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I, I, there may be something that 50 years from now, people look back at the 2012 season and be like, can you believe they used to do it like this? Or right. it could be exactly. like, they used to have open cockpits, you know, how dangerous is that? Or right. Whatever. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, and, but, which, which is totally normal to us now, but it is, it's certainly wild for us now to look back at these and, uh, and see kind of the original coverage. So it's some very cool stuff. And, um. Yeah, just uh, you know, worth. Uh, we'll probably uh, you know throw some links to there. But uh, thanks again for to uh, Paul for sending that stuff along. Uh, his email address uh, leads us to believe he may be in Spain. So uh, I don't know if he was uh, actually at this uh, this race or if you know 
people around uh, around Spain figure, ah, it's just Valencia Street Circuit. It's not going to be very exciting. I'm not going to go to the race. I don't know. But uh, either way, uh, thanks for uh, for writing in. And as always on the Facebook page, uh, we've got uh, more and more of a, of a community there and uh, people posting their thoughts all throughout the race weekends and beyond, even you know, yes. in, in between when news stories come out and various things. And we try to keep, uh, keep it uh, lively with things on there. Um, we did have a, a nice shout-out this week from the Goodwood Festival of Speed, uh, indicating that uh, that we were there on site filming uh, for a special that we have coming up on Sky Sports. Um, <laughs> they didn't quite have the right F1 show. That would be the other F1 show. Those little newcomers, those upstart guys. Oh dear! But uh, it was you know if it brought a couple new fans to the show, then hey, that's that's all good with us. But uh, I guess as a quick reminder, we are not affiliated <laughs> with any major company at all. Yes. Uh, and that the uh, you major know, company being Warner Loud Productions. Right. Uh, you know. Incorporated limited, yeah, um, GmbH. But but hey, if 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 that's what it take, uh, you know, if that found some uh, some people that are checking out the podcast, then welcome, and uh, we hope you like it. We are now just shy of one thousand two hundred and fifty fans on Facebook, which is incredible. I think I don't know exactly what that means, but it's a continually growing community. It's an active community. There's a lot of really interesting conversations. There's I a diverse amount of opinions on the show and in general people like us, which is nice. Um, but uh, as elated as we were to get a couple of emails, we were equally saddened because we got zero comments on the Canadian um, podcast. So, aw, for us. But that's okay. You guys can make up for it by commenting on the Valencia podcast, which will, of course, be on F1show.com soon, along with everything else that's amazing. Well, fine. I mean, we had a bit more controversy if you will i guess in this show uh especially this whole hamilton maldonado thing i think uh, people may have some opinions about that i so. believe the word you're looking for is controversy ah could be controversy controversy um <laughs> are we having a controversy about this right now is that is that what's going on <laughs> you say tomato i say yeah um <laughs> So definitely uh, stop by F1show.com, and as Robin mentioned, there's links to our Facebook page, Twitter page, uh, YouTube channel. There's lots of fun videos, uh, especially involving the uh, New Jersey Grand Prix track, and uh, you can email us right from there. There's the whole, the whole lot all there, as well as read the columns, uh, in, which especially happen in, in, in off-race weekends and in between. So there's, uh, there's a lot to do there for an F1 fan, yeah. and we now need to see how predictions stack up. Oh, yes, we do. Oh, yes. So, Robin, you are literally, I think, salivating right now <laughs> at the idea of going over predictions because we know, uh, you know, it's, it's no, there's no big mystery here of how, how we all predicted and uh, how that all fits in. Well, finally, but why don't you finally, walk, walk us down what the deal is here? Finally, I didn't get blackballed somehow. <laughs> And my true brilliance could come through. I mean, that's, is that that's, what it was? That's what it was. So you that's predicted the, the, the Renault alternator problem and I mean, the... duh. Everyone knows Renault engines don't do well in the heat. They have bad electronics in the heat. Duh. That must be it. And I repeat, duh. So, okay. I mean, yeah. what's more surprising is the fact that Kimi's and Weber's engines didn't blow up, I would say. If anything, that was the more surprising of the two things. Um, to happen, along with the uh, Williams, for that matter. But, in short, we had a um, very uh, uh, unified opinion on who was going to be on pole position. And, in fact, we were all correct. That being Damien, our evil statistical model, yourself and me, 
Um, all thought that Sebastian Vettel would be on pole position in Valencia, and we were very right. He was on pole with a solid margin, um, thanks to his um, you know, meditative, wizard-like Harry Potterness. Uh, before he goes out and runs, Harry Potterness. I, really? I don't. I think okay. so a little I bit. I think. That's, What's the German version of Harry Potter? I don't want to know. <laughs> you know, you know, Andre Potterer. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> wow, I like it. <laughs> However, uh, we started to disagree on who was going to win the race. You very incorrectly thought Sebastian Vettel would be able to take that pole position and run to victory. Um, Which that he was, was going to do that until was clearly not going to happen from the start. Damien thought that Hamilton was going to make it happen, which, again, Maldonado, hello. And why did he think that? He thought that because Lewis Hamilton had successfully won the race in Canada. Yeah. I, however, knew, knew that those things could not be uh, possible, that it was inevitable that the hometown hero would uh, go on to victory that Fernando Alonso was going to win the race. And I was completely and totally and absolutely dead nuts. No points correct. Yes! Many coaches for this, man. I do believe it's 20, actually. Uh, so, yeah, the end result is uh, Sebastian Vettel, for his engine failure, finished 21st oh. ahead of Timo Glock who didn't even participate, <laughs> and uh, Kobayashi and Vern, who were out early due to an incident. That's, and that's a bad time. The statistical model, um, suffering from Hamilton's temper or lack of judgment or Maldonado's faults, however you want to look at it, ended up finishing 19th, giving the stat model 18 points. Um, since I correctly predicted growth qualifying and the race, I got zero points. So that leaves you with 95 points total for the season. Which is awesome. Which puts you in 20th place. We do have, there are 19 fans of ours who have actually done better than that. Yes. Um, I am in 100 and, no, 110 points. I'm in 27th place. Yes. And Damien, the stat model, is in 32nd place. Doesn't that feel good, though? I mean, ultimately, that we're both soundly beating uh, the statistical model, Damien, in, and in every way, both in points and in race wins. You and I each have won uh, the competition three times, and he's only won it twice. He, she, whatever. Damien, the entity, has only won it twice. Right. Um, but uh, shout-out to Darren Bowden, who is right now leading the uh, F1 Show Predictions Championship with only 54 points. He's... On the Bowden train. That, that's, that's different oh, okay. than the pain train. Okay. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so previous uh, previous prediction star, Reese Milford, uh, did have Alonzo on pole. I didn't look at how many, uh, what he got there, but uh, he did move back to eighth spot now. But, yeah, 54 points. I mean, that's uh, less than half of, of your points, Robin. So Darren's been making some good calls there. He um, has. He has not suffered uh, as many black ball moments as I have. Right. He didn't have Schumacher for pole and Schumacher. Well, there was, there was, there's been some nonsense, all right? There's, there's been some tricks. But that's part of the fun. So that's the past. Um, it now it's time to predict the British Grand Prix. Yes, it's the British Grand Prix, right? It's it's you you want to think the McLarens maybe you're going to do well. Um, I feel like Weber may be strong. He's not bad for a number two driver. You he know, is that, not. That's, that's a classic very true. Uh, classic Silverstone situation. Um, or is it just going to be Vettel? I mean, if it hadn't been that alternator, it would have been all about Vettel at this race. Um, it does certainly seem like the Red Bull's car is quite strong these days. Although when it goes wrong, it goes way wrong. It does um, it does. However, Fernando Alonso won the race last year. Yeah, and Weber won it in 2010. Hmm. That's what I was, I was thinking about Weber, but then I'm thinking it's it's maybe not going to happen. So that was uh, Fernando's one and only victory last year, British hmm. Grand Prix. 
Yeah. And the Ferraris was looking awfully solid. I mean, don't forget, it was only two-tenths of a second off pole position in 11. Right. So so the statistical model, Damien, goes by whatever happened this race is going to happen again next time. He's got Vettel for pole and Alonso for the win. Which yes, he does. really doesn't sound like that bad of a deal right now. Actually, this is not like a freak Maldonado win, which is going to then carry on into who whatever. Right. This Agreed. Is, this is a, uh, a legit, you know, like he had Rosberg on, you know, whatever. Uh, Vettel Alonso sounds like a pretty strong lineup. I don't think Vettel is going to lose out again for the win, though. I think I think that's going to come together for him. Um, I'm, I, I guess it's it's sort of a lame, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go actually again with a Vettel dominant weekend. I mean, yeah, because why change? And why say, think independently or you know do anything on your own? I mean, I I, I understand. Right, that exactly is my thinking. <laughs> Um, yeah, it is based on that previous performance. It is hard to argue with uh, the Red Bull package and certainly with Vettel. That being said, Jensen Button is looking really good these days. Wait, no. I am going to do exactly that. What? I am. Okay. I I think that Grosjean's time has come. No. Oh. I do not think that. I think the Lotuses look awfully good, but I think I think part of the reason why they were as strong as they were is because. Valencia is a little bit of an oddball track. Uh, you know, Silverstone is more of a classic track. It's fast. It's got a lot of challenging high-speed corners, right? So I really think the the better sorted cars are really going to show themselves, and I think the really good drivers are really going to show themselves. And that is why I think Lewis Hamilton is going to make certain that he does not start going down the dumps that he went in 2011, and that he's going to recover from this in the strongest way possible. I think he's going to take pole position and win the race. That's All right, what then. I think. So Damien and I agree on Vettel. Uh, you don't think it's going to be Alonso. You don't think it's going to be Vettel. You think it's going to be Hamilton all the way. I think it's going to be Hamilton all the way. If you Unless ha- I get blackballed. And for all of our fans <laughs> on Facebook and, and those that aren't yet fans, uh, you can also go to the, the uh, F1show.com or go to our Facebook page on there. And um, there's a tab called Predictions. If you click on that, you can enter what you think is going to happen, who you think is going to be on pole, who you think is going to win the race, and see how you stack up. And uh, we have still over half of the season left, and with all the craziness that's going on, you know, it's still lots of fun to be had there and uh, can, uh, can go from there. So uh, a big shout-out to Neil Popham, our prediction stud, for uh, keeping that up. And actually, stud! And actually improving the system such that now we can crowdsource uh, the people entering results. So after a race, we can actually go in and enter enter the results um, without having to wait for him to watch the race. So it's, I uh, don't even know what that means. He's made the whole system even more automated than it was before in a very clever way. So Hey, I bet you're wondering, yeah. what was Robin wearing when he made such fabulous predictions? The answer to that question is an F1 show t-shirt. And what's even more amazing is that you yourself, yes, you, can pick up one of these fabulous F1 show t-shirts all on your own. All you have to do is go to the F1show.com website and look to the right under support the show and just click on that beautiful shirt you see before you and uh, you can pick, get one of our official F1 Show t-shirts. Um, we have a little store there. We also sell some other shirts and some stickers and some other stuff. It's race proven. It's been out of a plane. It's done all kinds of crazy things. It is one of the most fabulous shirts on earth. But if for some crazy reason you're like, hey, I really love the show, but I just I don't wear T-shirts. They are against my religion. Well, we also have a donate button. So if you'd like, you can uh, support the show, um, donate uh, any small amount of money, being it just one, three, five thousand dollars. Any small amount will do, and uh, that would help us out. Also, if you want to show your support in another way, um, do let people know that you like us on iTunes. If that's the case, 
And please do not be bashful about commenting on F1Show.com. And finally, do keep an eye out. Go to F1Show.com for um, updated columns and updated F1 Show statistics. We've got all kinds of like mega computers working on statistics and mega brains with mega creativity working on columns. It's the most fabulous place on earth. It's F1Show.com. Did I oversell it? I don't think so. I might have oversold it. Well, maybe not. (laughs) Point is, F1Show.com. And as always, we, uh, we thank you for listening. Please let us know what you think of the show. We will be back with coverage from the British Grand Prix and coverage of, you know, fish and chips generally being amazing. Yes. Hopefully, as usual. Um, Until then, I am Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner telling you to always have clean underwear. Bye-bye.